gold frame pictures on either side of the stage explain the uh, three different Christmas pictures on each side, so if you want to come up and read those. Welcome, everybody. Good to see you. All right, we'll take sharing. We'll take sharing. And so I'm going to ask Jamal to come up here. We had healing rooms yesterday, and so if you don't know what healing rooms are, once a month we have an opportunity for people to either call in or come in person and uh, receive healing prayer, get a little extra time with you. And so let's give it up for Jamal. Okay, I've had two Jamals in my life this week, and this is Jamil. Uh, so sorry about that. So my apologies. I'll be Jamal for a second. All right. This is his alter ego here. My bad, my bad. It's good. Good morning, Zion. We, bless you. We had uh, healing rooms yesterday. Um, obviously, we couldn't be in all the healing rooms, but um, what's been sticking out in my mind the last few weeks, I talked to Pastor Jim a, a couple weeks ago about something. And, you know, in March 16, we often quote about uh, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's in there, but that's the last thing he lists. The very first thing he lists was, they that believe shall cast out, drive out demons. That is a part of Christianity that we as a church body, believer body, need to be readily aware of and expect to happen and not be afraid. The concern I have spiritually is I believe, uh, I'm getting the healing room because something did come up is that in the church body, see, the devil doesn't mind us talking about angels, and they're nice, and we see them, and they're at the throne, but please do not bring up demons. Don't, don't talk about that in church, because we can be undercover if you don't expose us. But Jesus Christ came to expose the enemy. He says he came to destroy the works of the devil in 1 John 3. Don't fear them. Don't tolerate them. If you're being tormented, get help. Uh, I'll be real. I'll get brief now. <laughs> uh, one, what happened, uh, we have a, a sheet in healing rooms, and people write out what they need prayer for. So we were getting this one sheet for a person, and I noticed, I said, wow, they have something stapled to the sheet. So I pick up the sheet, and they had 10, at least 10 different physical, medically, quote, diagnosed ailments. And I looked at it, I said, Lord, look at this. And we, we read that, and, then we, and my wife says, she flips it over. They had more written on the back. I go, I'm not reading all that. <laughs> that sounds like wisdom. I said, I'm not reading all that. So when they came in and they sat down, and I was, we were going to pray for them. I looked and went, no, here, you take this paper. I gave it to the person. No, you take this, and this is what I want you to do. You start reading what you wrote down. I'll just pick something. Um, high blood pressure, because that was on there. It was one of the things, and some other serious things. And I said, I want you to read through the list, but as you're reading through the list, I want you to start declaring high blood pressure. You're under the blood of Jesus. Come on. You know, diabetes. You're under the blood of Jesus. So I had them read through this list and the transformation Come on. that started happening to them. He's talking blood covenant. As the person read the list and started putting them under the blood of Jesus, they just started to light up. But then as a result, we're getting ready to pray. And then we called out a word. Uh, I'll call out shame. And then when we called out shame, the reaction was so dramatic, it went from there calling out different spiritual afflictions they were afflicted with that we had to get a trash can. I think Cheryl thought Maria was coming out to get tissues. She came out to get a trash can. And you know what I thought this morning? The Lord said to me, he says, why should people be uh, wondering about that? Um, if you get an upset stomach, you vomit in a 
trash can, a toilet. That's an upset stomach. Well, if you're being spiritually afflicted, thank you for your grace. If you're being spiritually afflicted and it's getting driven out of you, get a trash can, lean over the toilet, get delivered. Good point, Lord. The Lord says, how many of you like walking around carrying garbage in your pocket that stinks? Well, don't be afflicted with demonic activity. Get free. Get delivered. That person ends up being set free of a lot of things. They looked up at us and they went, I wasn't expecting that when I came here today, were you? (laughs) (laughs) Then we had a gentleman, it was a phone call. We can't see everyone, so one was a phone call. And a, a person says, they were really distressed. They said, I've listened to all the teachings on healing. I've listened to Pastor Jim. I've listened to this person. I've listened to this. And I'm just getting to the point where I don't think the Lord wants to do anything. They weren't listening. No. That, that, that's my point. They didn't quite understand. But in listening, when they spoke, the Lord dropped some words on us. We call out a word and we, we mention, we love you person. I'm not going to mention it, obviously. But we mentioned a word. I'll pull out a word. Like loneliness. Mentioned the word loneliness. We just heard this gasp. Then this coughing. Then these tears. You said something that I didn't want to mention. My point is if you are afflicted with anything get free. The devil wants you to walk around carrying garbage in your pocket. There's nothing to be ashamed of. We live in the world. It's 1 Corinthians 2, somewhere in there. It talks about the spirit of the world. There is a spirit of the world, and it attacks. There's all kinds of things that attack us. Jesus Christ sets people free. He sets the captives free. That's what we did at Healing Rooms. That's what we do here at Zion. People come from all over Don't take this church for granted. We thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus upon this church and over Pastor Jim and Mary. And we appreciate the word that's taught here. But get set free, friends and family. We're not afraid of demons. They have no authority over us. Tori said that. We had, they have no authority over us. We have authority over them in Jesus Christ's name. How many of you know you don't touch a fire when it gets going? So that's, that's good. That's good. Yeah, I think Christians, they have a tendency to either uh, focus on demons and become obsessed with one and find one under every doorknob, or they just ignore them completely. So, yeah. You don't have to throw up to get delivered, but sometimes it happens. So it's, uh, it's the, the, yeah. In my experience, it hasn't been the majority of cases, but when it happens, it's always nice to have a trash can nearby. Okay, there we go. A quick, uh, some Baker family announcements. You guys ready for some Baker family announcements? So, uh, we had somebody uh, move here recently who's been like a mother to me. It's my mom. My mom actually moved here. So, yeah, so mom is now, yes. So, I think our view count's going to go down on YouTube because I think she just kept watching it over and over again. So, we'll, uh, we'll have to work on that. And then uh, my youngest son, Evan, is he here today? Is he here? Evan and uh, Lilia got engaged. Uh, this, uh, yep, so my, my youngest is engaged. I guess they were uh, so worn out for being so adorable. That's why they're not here. But um, so super exciting. Yes, we got another wedding coming up here. So, all right, here we go. All right, we're in a series uh, looking at the terms of the new blood covenant, the blood covenant that was made between God and Jesus 2,000 years ago. Here's the good news. If the covenant was made between God and Jesus, there's nothing you and I can do to screw the whole thing up. There's nothing you and I need to do to add to it because it's been paid in full between the Father and Jesus. That's why God puts you into Jesus so he can treat you as if you were Jesus himself. It's good news. So you can receive it as a gift. Now it's the final clause of the new covenant that makes the whole thing work, where God says, I will remember your sins and lawless deeds no more. And so uh, you see it in Jeremiah 31 in the Old Testament. was seen in Ezekiel 36 in the Old Testament. It's quoted in multiple places in the New Testament, in Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. I'm going to read you from 2 Corinthians 5. It gets a phrase at this. You guys ready for this? I'm going to be reading a lot of Scripture today because the news is so good, you're not going to believe me unless you see it in the Scripture yourself. So, um, yeah. 
So I had a whole different message written out. It was 95% done when I went to bed yesterday, and I woke up this morning, and I'm not using one word of it. So I'm hoping that this is inspired and not perspired. Okay, here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the, word to himself, the world to himself. I love this because it wasn't like, you know, Christ was doing this because dad was mad and he's kind of doing it behind God's back. No, no. It was God's idea to bring the whole world back to himself, okay? In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That expression, not counting, it's another New Testament way of saying forgiveness. Here's the deal. All the obstacles between God and humanity have been removed so all that's left for him is grace, peace, and love to pour out in you. Like, hold on, I, I don't believe that. I want you to get this. God loves ISIS as much as he does the Democrats, as much as he does the Republicans, as much as he does the apostles. There was one terrorist who encountered the love of God, and he went from Saul to Paul and turned the world upside down. God doesn't just have love. He is love. Okay, for God to stop loving, he would have to stop existing. All right? And so uh, when you've been forgiven, another way of saying this is God has closed the accounting department over your life. The books have been burned. He's no longer keeping a record of your sin. This is all review, but this is good. There's no more discussion over what you owe. You have been totally forgiven. Okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, drop a bomb here. This is a little bit of review, but I hope it still hits fresh. Sin is no longer an issue with God because you've been redeemed. Okay? With that statement, you're either rejoicing, shocked, or confused. All right? It's a radical statement, but here's some news. The new covenant is a radical covenant. It's completely different than the old covenant. I mean, you just see some pictures of it. When the law was given, 3,000 people died that day. When the Holy Spirit was given, 3,000 people get saved. How many of you know there's a difference between the old covenant and the new covenant? message most people hear is that, listen, when you sin, it breaks your relationship with God. Now, maybe your eternal salvation is still secured, but God is now distant, and your prayers aren't going to get answered, and God can't use you when you have sin in your life, okay? People call that eternal security. We looked a little bit at this last week. Other people believe that you can backslide and actually lose your salvation, and that you need to keep rededicating your life to God, and if you were to die with unconfessed sin and that state, that you would go to hell, and we call that eternal insecurity, Okay? Guys, neither one of those positions is good news, okay? Because even as Christians, are you ready for this secret? All of us still sin. I said it. I said it. But uh, remember, I'm going to be using a lot of scripture today. We use scripture every week, but this one has a little extra juice in it because it's a little extra nuclear level good news. 1 John 1, 8, if we boast that we have no sin, he's writing to believers, we are only fooling ourselves and are strangers to the truth. So what's a Christian to do if, we, if, we, if our sins have been paid for, but we're still sinning? What's happening here? I remember when I was in high school, I had a real sensitive conscience. I really wanted to please the Lord. So what I decided to do is I was going to be confessing my sins all the time, right? Because I thought if I, you know, if, what if I told a lie, I exaggerated, I got hit by a car. I don't know what the hit by the car was always the scenario. I don't know what it is. But um, you know, if I were to get hit by a car, then I would go to hell. And so I'm constantly, just constantly aware of sin and sinfulness. And there was this teaching going on, the closer you get to God, the more aware you are of your own sinfulness and your own wretchedness. Listen, guys, you're never going to get close to God if you think you're a wretch and sinful. The only way to get close to him is to boldly enter the throne of grace, not performance. Okay? You're never going to get close to God. Those people are always going to have distance and separation. That's called religion. Talking about, how, you know, it's, it's a focus on themselves, is really. It's, it's a form of selfishness. It's a twisted form. So, um, so altar calls, were, the church I grew up in, the altar calls were given weekly. And uh, for those who had backslidden, what did backslidden mean? It means you have not lived completely perfectly since the previous altar call. You guys remember this, right? And so, and I remember uh, <laughs> this one pastor, and he would just list out all these sins. And it was like, oh, thank goodness. I did. Oh, I did. Oh, man. And so, it, and it was like, it was like, like his self-esteem was uh, being, you know, by how many people would come down for the altar call, you know. It was like, you know, he would just keep going and going until, fine, you know, we just come down and rededicate our lives to the Lord. I remember thinking, I've rededicated my lives to the Lord so many times. What if my rededicator is broken? Like, I felt like it didn't work. Like, like, like I'm, I'm doing it, I'm giving my all, and it just, like, it's not working. Like, what's happening here? Can anyone write to this? So what, what's a Christian to do? Um, so should we just keep every sin confessed and become sin conscious? That sounds reasonable. Um, here's the problem with that. It's impossible, and it's not biblical. 
Okay, um, uh, Romans 14, 23. For anything we do that doesn't spring from faith is by definition sinful. So at least we've got that going for us. Are you doing everything with complete trust, confidence, and full reliance on Jesus and faith? Every single thing? If not, that's sin. How are you doing? Yeah, isn't, this, isn't this awesome? And so um, the Bible says, whatever is not of faith is sin. Do you always walk in faith? No, you're, you're, you're sinning probably right now. Okay. And so um, <laughs> James 4, 17. So if you know of an opportunity to do the right thing today, yet you refrain from it, you're guilty of sin. Oh, my goodness. All right. So if I'm not doing everything perfectly in faith, it's sin. If, uh, if, there's, things I've, if there's things I'm supposed to be doing that's good that I'm not doing, um, is everyone doing everything perfectly in the name of Jesus? No, I'm probably not. More sin. More sin. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, <laughs> that I'm not like these sinners. Okay, I don't think anyone claiming here that they're, uh, they're loving God and others perfectly as they should. Okay? Can you see why it's impossible to keep every sin confessed and it's not even a biblical command to keep every sin confessed? You guys ready for this? Even if you're able to confess every sin to maintain your relationship with God, that means the burden of salvation is on your back, not on Jesus' back. Okay, you'd never have peace with God because it would be dependent upon your works. All right, here's the good news that breaks all of this guilt, shame, and condemnation. Oh, this is going to be good. The forgiveness of sins is not something that God does or continues to do. It's something he completed 2,000 years ago on the cross once and for all. Amen. may not seem like a big nuclear statement. I'm going to unfold it more and more. I'm going to read it again just uh, so we can get it. Uh, again, I'm going to be taking the rest of the time explaining this. The good news that breaks all this guilt, shame, and condemnation is that the forgiveness of sins is not something that God does or continues to do. It's something he has already done once and for all. Okay, let's dig this out here. Okay, Hebrews chapter 9, flurry of scriptures coming. It's going to be good. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 25 and 26 in the Passion Translation. Under the old system, meaning the old blood covenant, uh, year after year, the high priest entered the most holy sanctuary with blood that was not his own. Remember, we looked at the Day of Atonement. That's what this is referring to. We did it uh, two weeks ago. Um, but the Messiah did not repeatedly uh, uh, need to uh, But the Messiah did not need to repeatedly offer himself year after year, for that would mean he must suffer repeatedly ever since the fall of the world. But now he has appeared at the fulfillment of the ages, are you ready for this? To abolish sin once and for all by the sacrifice of himself. Boy, when was sin taken care of? Once and for all, okay? Uh, listen, guys, in Jesus, we're going to see here in just a second, Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world, not just those who accept it. Yeah, he, doesn't, he does not see your sin and go, oh, no, I didn't know Baker was going to do this. I need to shed some more blood. It is a done deal, past, present, and future. We'll see here in just a second, okay? The New Testament presents the forgiveness of sins as something that is already accomplished, past tense, 2,000 years ago, before you were ever born, before you did anything good, before you did everything, anything bad, it was already paid for. And the effect of this is God wants you to not even be conscious of sin. Like, Jim, I, I don't know if I believe you. That's why we got more scriptures coming. Hebrews chapter 10. No more conscious. Listen, guys, you can live sin conscious or you can live sun conscious. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, <clears throat> it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. In the Old Testament, remember, continually offering uh, sacrifices for sin because they kept on sinning. And so it covered it for a little bit, but they'd sin again, sin Blood, sin, blood, okay? Verse 2, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. Guys, what if you stayed forgiveness conscious? What if you stayed sun conscious instead of sin conscious? Okay? So what, what is it that produced that forgiveness of sins? What was, what was it that made this event happen so that it's once for all and it's covering me past, present, and future? What, what was that event here? Okay? Was it when you confessed your sins? Is that when you were forgiven? Okay, the answer to all these is going to be no, just, you know. I want you guys to get this deep down. You were not forgiven when you confessed your sins and asked to be forgiven. You were forgiven way before that. Was it when you showed God that you were sorry enough? Then he turned from his fierce wrath and began to smile towards you. No, no, no. Before you were ever born, 2,000 years ago. He did it, not you. 
Uh, was it when you proved to God that you changed and you really mean it this time? Is that when you were forgiven? It's not what the Bible says. It says it was once for all, 2,000 years ago, three nails and a crown. It was through the shedding of Jesus' blood that you received redemption, which is your forgiveness of sins. Listen to Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. When did Jesus die and shed his blood? When were you forgiven? 2,000 years ago, three nails and a crown. And here's the thing, guys, is he's never going to die again. It was a once-for-all act. Listen to Romans chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. See, when he died, he didn't just die for you, he died as you. You can picture yourself literally crawling up on the cross. Well, Jim, doesn't, doesn't um, God have to judge sin? He did. And you were already judged for your sin. I want you to picture yourself crawling up inside of Jesus and that cross. The price for sin was paid. That person died, and now you are a new person. United with Christ. And now God delights to treat you as if you were Jesus himself. The price for your sins, it was already paid. You don't need to keep paying the piper. I'm not saying there's not consequences in this life. I'm saying between you and God, all the obstacles have been removed once for all. Whether you're Hamas, whether you're ISIS, whether you're Democrat, Republican, whether you are a Wolverine fan or a Buckeye fan. <laughs> Careful, Jim, you're getting dangerous on that last one. <laughs> Jesus dealt with the sins of the entire human race once and for all. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 through 12, and then verse 14 in the Passion Translation. By God's will, we have been purified, this is past tense, and made holy, past tense, once for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus the Messiah. Yet every day, priests still serve ritually, offering the same sacrifices again and again, sacrifices that can never take away sin's guilt. But when this priest, speaking of Jesus, had offered the one supreme sacrifice for sin for all time, he sat down on the throne at the right hand of God. Remember, we looked at that. The priests, they never got to sit down because the price was never paid. But when Jesus went to heaven, presented his own blood, he sat down. No more, uh, no more sacrifices. The price had been paid. Verse 14. Verse 14. And by his one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete. As long as you keep the rules and keep your sins confessed. No, 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 no. And by his one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. Guys, you've entered into a whole new inheritance. See, sin, uh, when it says forgiveness, it means he took your sin away. Uh, one of the pictures, the, the word in the New Testament for sin is, uh, is also translated as divorce. When you get a divorce, that old marriage goes away and does not come back. When you're forgiven, that old sin goes away. But here's the good news, is there's something new that comes into your life. It's not just like you were in debt and now the debt is paid, okay? Now you're back to neutral, right? I know there's like a big movement in, in financial thing is to get debt-free. That's awesome when you're debt-free, you're still at zero. Oh, boy. Uh, there's something better than debt-free. It's going into the positive. It's having something in the black, not just the red, right? And so God didn't just forgive you of your sin and take it away. He brought something into you. He brought you a life that is truly life. Jesus Christ himself, the Holy Spirit, is now coming in to express himself through you. So Jesus dealt with sins of the whole human race once for all time, okay? I, want, I mean, I don't know how many times I can make this. It's not our great behavior and holiness that makes us complete. It's not you fasting and praying the price that makes you worthy to be used by God. There was a perfect lamb of God who took away the sins of the entire world, we don't have to ask Jesus to forgive our sins. He's already done it. Oh, boy, this is going to get a little offensive. It's going to get a little offensive here. We don't have to ask Jesus to forgive our sins. He's already done it. Paul didn't tell the Philippian jailer, go and confess your sins and you'll be saved. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your entire household. What did he have to do? He had to believe what already happened. How do we get salvation? We believe. It's not a whole bunch of things you need to do. We
We confess the Lord Jesus, not our sins, to receive the gift of salvation. Listen to Romans 10.9. If you confess your... I didn't put this one on the, the thing. I wrote it a few minutes ago. Um, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Notice he didn't say if you confess your sins, you'll be saved. If you confess the Lord Jesus, not our sins, you'll be saved. Hold on, does that mean the whole world is saved? I mean, if you already paid for it, and is, I mean, no, no, absolutely not. We have to receive the forgiveness of sins by faith. It's not automatic. Okay? Acts 26, 18. This is Jesus commissioned to Paul. Paul was sent to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Why do we preach the gospel? So people will hear the good news, believe, and receive that forgiveness that was already paid for. God's not up there on a case-by-case basis judging whether or not you're worthy to be uh, saved, whether to be forgiven, worthy to be healed. He already said yes to you being saved, healed, delivered, prospered, and protected 2,000 years ago. Okay? When we hear that good news, how can anyone believe unless they hear? That's why we preach the good news so they can hear and receive. What's our part? Receive. What does faith look like? Thank you, Jesus. This belongs to me. Wow. That's our part. It's not a big part. The Lord has already forgiven everyone's sins. I'm going to circle back around here. I'm going to hit from another angle. 1 John 2, 2. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And only if you confess all of you. No, no, no. And not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus paid the price for the sins of the whole world. That's grace. God has already forgiven everybody's uh, sins. Remember, from God's side, all the obstacles have been removed. He's standing there with his arms open. Well, how did the, prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, uh, the father, it says he's looking off in the horizon looking for his son. Why? He'd already forgiven him in his heart. He was just waiting for him to return home so he could experience the embrace that was already in his heart. It wasn't like, come grovel at my feet. Let's see how sorry you are. He runs and smothers his son who smelt like pigs, smothers him with kisses, gives him a bear hug, and brings him back into the home, gives him the robe, the ring, the shoes. Why? Because that's the heart of God. But we have to put faith in what God has already accomplished by grace in order to be saved. It's not automatic. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Okay, you guys ready for a little bit more offense? It's not a person's many sins that send them to hell. Sin has already been paid for and forgiven. It's the singular sin of not believing on Jesus that sends a person to hell. It's their failure to accept what Jesus did for them that puts them into the place of eternal torment. John 16, verses 8 and 9. And when he comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was talking to his disciples in the upper room. He's, he's letting them know, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. You're going to love him. He's just like me. That's what Jesus said. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin... Because they do not believe in me. What's the sin that the Holy Spirit's going to convict the world of? Unbelief of Jesus. The singular sin the Holy Spirit reproves or corrects us on is the sin of not believing on Jesus. That's it. It's not to say that the Holy Spirit isn't going to point out things that are wrong, but he simply uses those to illustrate that you don't believe in Jesus. The root of every sin that you and I commit is we just don't trust Jesus in that area of our life, so we're going to take it into our own hands. The Holy Spirit is convicting you of one sin. I want you to think of areas of your life that are broken, that aren't what Jesus paid for, they're not, they're not perfect. I want you to think of them like fractures. And so things happen in your life, and it simply exposes what's already there, right? It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not something new. It's not God rubbing it in your face. But as life happens, these fractures come up, and the Holy Spirit will come into your life and when he's convicting you of, of your sin, it also says he's trying to convince you of your righteousness. That's the next part of the verse. He's not rubbing in your face. What's he doing? When he points out a sin, he's putting his finger on a part of your life and saying, I want you to think of his conviction like this. I'm inviting you to experience me in an area that you're not currently experiencing me. Here's an area where you're not trusting me. I've got something so much better. And you begin to confess it. You're right. What is confession of sin? You're right, God. I... I'm not experiencing you in this area. I've been trusting in my own strength. I'm sorry. I want you in this area. Grace comes in. 
The Holy Spirit isn't nailing you every time you sin. He loves us back into faith and trust in Jesus. That's the whole Christian life is loving him and trusting him. In those areas where we don't have that, he'll put his finger and invite us in. And the root of that is you're just not trusting Jesus in this area. I've got a better way. Well, Jim, what difference does it make in my life if I accept forgiveness as something that's already been accomplished or not? Is this just semantics? Is this just some mental thing? Great question. Answer, it makes a huge difference. Okay? Um, I, uh, I drove my car here today. I did not ride a bike. I drove my car here today. Uh, my car is paid off. You know what? I already sent all the payments to the bank. The debt has been paid. You know what? I'm not worried about my debt anymore. I'm free to just enjoy the ride. When you recognize that your sin debt has already been paid, you can just enjoy the ride. So many people, they're begging God for a move of God. They're begging him for revival. Um, I'm too busy enjoying and abiding in him, trying to, become, trying to live out the Christ in me, rather than trying to beg God to come down. He already came down, and he's inside of you. Now he wants out. Guys, your sin debt has been, in pay, has been paid. Enjoy the ride. Abide. Enjoy him. When you understand that acceptance, that, that forgiveness is something that has already been paid for, it gives you security and it gives you peace, knowing that God isn't mad at you and he won't be mad at you. The debt's already paid. Our sins are already forgiven, not just the past sins we committed before we were born again. So it's not like, oh, you're debt-free. Um, all of our sins, past, present, and even future ones, are already forgiven. There's such a huge debit in your account, you can never pay it down. Hold on, Jim. How can, how can God forgive sins before we even commit them? Well, you better hope he can do that because he died 2,000 years ago. And if he can't do that, you can't be saved. You better be able to forgive future sins. Otherwise, it was just for those people standing around the cross. Let's look at those verses again, Hebrews 10, verses 10 through 12, and verse 14. For by God's will we have been purified and made holy once for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus the Messiah. Yet every day priests still serve, ritually offering the same sacrifices again and again, sacrifices that can never take away from sin's guilt. But when this priest had offered the one supreme sacrifice for all time, he sat down on the throne at the right hand of God and by this one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. We have received eternal redemption, not momentary redemption. Thank you, Christian. I thought it was better than the response, but I'm just going <laughs> to assume it's quiet contemplation, quiet contemplation rather than bored indifference. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy places, into the Father's house. We looked at that last week or two weeks ago. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing a ret eternal redemption. Past, present, future, paid for. Enjoy the ride. How can we read these scriptures and come to any other conclusion than that every sin, past, present, and future, was forgiven and our redemption is eternal? I use this illustration a lot because I love it. And so uh, I want you to imagine a little boy who's found a diamond. It's the size of his fist. It's absolutely beautiful. It's gorgeous. And he holds it up and it refracts the, refracts the light. And he's just spellbound by this beautiful gem. But every time he goes uh, and plays with it, he gets it all dirty. And so he's got to come back and, and clean it off again. And then it feels new and clean. And then he plays with it and it gets dirty again. And he has to come back and get it cleaned again. Welcome to the Old Testament. They got cleansed when the sacrifice happened. And they go and blow it again and get dirty, and they got to come back again. So I want you to imagine that uh, he comes up with this solution. There's a waterfall by his house, and it's got this little cleft in the rock that fits the diamond there perfectly, and it sits under this waterfall so it stays continually cleansed. Welcome to the new covenant. You are standing under a waterfall of forgiveness, continually cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice for our sins is already an accomplished work. Jim, are you saying that sin doesn't matter? No. Nope. You did a message last week called Sin is Stupid. You guys remember that? Sin is stupid. It gives the enemy an inroad into your life. Why would you want to, why would you want to become a landing pad for the demonic, right? It deceives you. It hardens your heart. It makes you believe lies about God. It makes you think he's distant and far and angry and all sorts of things. Here's the good news. 
Although sin changes the way you feel about God, sin does not change the way God feels about you. The waterfall of forgiveness continues to flow over your life. Listen, guys, the only way out of sin is to know that you've been completely forgiven. You want to know why so many Christians struggle with sin? Because they haven't heard the good news. They've heard a partial news. Jesus said those who are forgiven much will love him much. Okay? Those who that are forgiven little, actually there's no such person who's ever been forgiven little. Those people don't actually exist. Okay? You should say those who think they've been forgiven little only love him a little. Remember the woman with the alabaster jar and she's worshiping and she uh, puts perfume on Jesus' feet and washes it. Remember that whole thing? Um, Jesus said uh, to Simon a Pharisee about this incident. Do you see this woman? I entered into your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. The more you realize that you've been forgiven much, the more you will walk free of your sin. Guys, we've got to get this. You've got to understand, the car payments don't need to be sent in anymore. <laughs> you're free to drive. And when you're so thankful, let's just say you had this huge expensive car and someone else paid off that car loan. The more you are thankful for that, the more you can enjoy that car. Not thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to pay for this? The payments are due. And... The only reason people don't love Jesus uh, that much is they don't understand how much they've been forgiven. Well, hold on, Jim. What about 1 John 1, 9? I'm so glad you asked. I was, I was waiting for you to ask that. I'm glad you brought it up. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he, being God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We don't have to confess sin in order to be saved, to retain or maintain salvation. We confess sin because our flesh gets defiled. Okay? That gives Satan an illegal inroad to make us feel miserable. Okay? Romans 6, 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death. He's writing this to believers. Or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Confession is not listing off your sins. Oh, God, I did this and this and this and this. And this and this and this and this. And anything I didn't mention, just cover that one too. Please forgive me. That's not confession of sin. Okay? Confess means to agree with God. It's an accounting term. In accounting, you're reconciling. Here's what, uh, here's what the payments are. Here's what the bank statement is. We want them to say the same thing as. To confess your sin means to say the same thing as what God says about it. I'm coming into agreement with God and out of agreement with the devil. When you're confessing your sin, you're coming out of agreement with the devil and coming into agreement with God. It stops Satan from dominating you through that sin. It draws you into the forgiveness. And the more I understand that forgiveness, it says it's the grace of God that teaches you to say no to ungodliness. How do you receive the grace of God? By understanding what he's done. I become sun conscious. I become forgiveness conscious. And this grace comes into my life, and it makes me not want to do that stuff anymore. You'll live more holy on accident being sun conscious than you could ever do on purpose being sin conscious. The idea behind the biblical word for confess your sins is to agree with God. Okay, so God, he, he, uh, he's highlighting an area of my life. There's a fracture in my life. There's an area I'm blowing it. Maybe I'm aware of it. Maybe I wasn't aware of it. He puts his finger on it, and he says something like this. I see that, Lord. I see I've got a tendency to blame other people. I've got a tendency to blow up at people. I've got a tendency when pressure gets tough to go into this bad habit, whatever it might be. Please forgive me because I believe things about me that you're not believing about me. It has to change. Help. What are you doing? I'm acknowledging it's bad. I'm doing this apart from you. I'm acknowledging I don't have to do it apart from you. I need your grace. I'm saying the same thing as God says. What's he doing? His mercy is revealing those fractures that I need to come into agreement with his life so I can live the abundant life he's called me to live. Once we see it and come into agreement with it, the confession releases the capacity to forsake that sin. I'm going to have to say that one again. Once we see it and we come into agreement with what God says about it, yeah, this is bad. This is stupid. Sin is stupid. But there's a better way. You want to give me strength. Once we see it and come into agreement, the confession releases the capacity to forsake. There's something powerful about confessing your sin. 
Because it's in that confession, there's a grace that comes into it that gives you the ability to walk out of that thing. Rather than go, ah, I'm forgiven. Ah, yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm just covered. I'm, I'm just covered, covered. Well, there's a whole bunch of places in the New Testament that talk about confessing your sin. Okay? And so it's still an important thing because it gives you the strength to walk out of that sin. I want you, I'm going to give uh, two pictures. I'm going to close here. Um, when, let's just say uh, my kids, when they were young, they blew it. They don't do it anymore. They're old. They're past all that stuff. They're just beyond it. So. And so um, when my kids blew it, let's say they did something I directly told them not to do. I was not sitting there going, miserable little brat. You know, what am I? Oh, boy, I hope they learn their lesson. I hope the consequences are steep and they get this. And, oh, oh you want my forgiveness now all of a sudden? Oh, where was, where was it when you were supposed to be? No, no, no. I'm not waiting for them to grovel. I'm not waiting for them to show how bad, okay? It says, um, it says repent in uh, Acts 3.19. Repent that times of refreshing may come, okay? Repent that you can experience the forgiveness and love that's in my heart that whole time. Guys, from the God side, the forgiveness has already been there. When you confess and repent, you get the times of refreshing. You get to experience the hug from dad that was already there. Confession is for us. It's not for God. Come here, over here. Confessing your sins is for us to experience the hug, to experience the capacity to get out of that thing. It's not so God can go, okay, we can strike that one off the record <laughs> just in time because they were had a job interview. And if they hadn't got that sin off, they wouldn't have got the job. Oh, they were getting ready to pray for somebody to be healed. Like, I'm going to use them when that sin's on their account. Guys, there ain't no account. The books have been burned. Enjoy the ride. But for you to have that experience of that hug, to have that strength to walk out of that thing, confess your sins. It's a smart thing. You need it. God doesn't need it. Last point. Last point. Are you guys ready for this? Jesus was an overpayment for all your sins. Way overpaid. Way overpaid. You and I owe God a sin debt that we could never pay. Jesus has already paid that sin debt. Okay, you overpaid it. Why? So it'll never be on your conscience again. Oh, boy. Why did he overpay it so much? So you'll remain sun conscious and not sin conscious. I want you to imagine I borrowed $10,000 from Sean. Okay, Pastor Sean, don't we love Pastor Sean? So imagine I paid, yeah, I, that yes sounded a lot like his covenant wife, Rachel, to me. So yes. Let's say I borrowed $10,000 from Sean. I'm like, Sean, I'm going to pay you back in a month. A month comes, oh, I ain't got $10,000. And so um, time goes on. I cannot pay him the money. Even if Sean doesn't ask me for the money, what do you think is going to happen to my conscience when I see Sean? I'm going to be like, hey, bro, hey, let's hang out. Let's spend some time together. I'm going to be avoiding him. I'm like, oh, man. I owe him something. I think I'm going to avoid him. It makes me uncomfortable to be around him, right? Okay? Um, I probably try to avoid him. Now imagine one day, Pastor Cheryl. Don't we all love Cheryl? This is your chance, Paul. Don't we all love Cheryl? Yes. It's okay. It's okay. It was one of those silent inside things, right? So imagine one day Cheryl hears about my debt to Sean. And let's say Cheryl in this illustration, she's a billionaire. And she loves me. One of those two things is true. She loves me. Well, let's say that's for this example, Cheryl's a billionaire and she is my good friend. She loves me. And Cheryl's getting ready to take a trip to an exotic beach. Actually, it's to an exotic private island that she owns. Let's close in prayer. No, no, no let's keep going. So Cheryl's getting ready to take a trip to an exotic beach on a private island that she owns. But before she leaves, she goes to Sean and says, hey, I hear that Baker owes you some money. How much money does he owe you? $10,000. She says, here's what I want to do. Sean, I want to give you a million dollars. Well, Sean's like, this is too much. I can't say, no, no. I want to bless you, but I also don't want Jim to ever think he owes you that $10,000 ever again. Sean's shocked. It's too much money. Okay, would you agree that my debt has been paid? Okay. Two things could happen that would still make debt be on my conscience, all right? Uh, let's imagine Cheryl, she's rushing off to the beach. She doesn't have time. She's, uh, she only has time to get her suntan lotion. Uh, has no time to talk to me. And so she asks a friend of hers to say, hey, can you go and tell Jim that his debt's been paid? 
The friend comes to me and says, uh, they don't really convey the, the, convey the fact that the debt's actually been paid. They're like, hey, I kind of heard that the debt was paid. I'm not sure exactly on all the details. She probably keep making payments to Sean just to make sure. Um, what's happening? The messenger did not fully convey the good news. Welcome to the American church. So many people are not hearing the good news. Yeah, it is finished, but... When you sin, God is distant from you. But when you sin, uh, God is angry with you. When you sin, his fierce wrath is building up. And if it gets too high, you're going to get the big whammy. He might just give you cancer. He might do this and this. They're not hearing the whole good news. A lot of people still think they've got a debt to pay. And so it's on their conscience. They haven't fully heard the good news. Let's look at another possible scenario. Let's say Cheryl, she could not get in touch with me before flying on her private uh, jet. You see how this is getting better? To her private beach on her private island with her private staff. Oh, it's just getting better here. Better is one day in Cheryl's island. Better is one. Oh, no, sorry. So imagine this friend of Cheryl's. Uh, she says, hey, go tell Baker the good news. A friend drives to my house and tells me the good news. Jim, it has been paid. Paid in full. Not only that, it has been overpaid. Sean got a million dollars instead of the $10,000. Okay? It's incredible. The messenger told me the good news. Now it's up to the hearer to believe the good news. I want you to imagine this is your $10,000 debt that's been paid. Okay? You could respond in, in disbelief. Are you sure? I don't know. I mean, I, it's a lot, you know. I mean, I, I owe this debt for such a long time. It's, just been, it's been weighing on me. Or you can say, praise God, I'm free. Yeah. Let me ask you, if you don't believe the good news, is your debt still paid? Yep. Wow. One more time. If you refuse to believe the good news, is your debt still paid? Yes. And yet you can still live like a debtor. The Bible calls it an evil conscience. What's an evil conscience? It's not someone thinking perverted thoughts all the time. It's someone who is conscious of their sin. What did he say? He wants you to have no more consciousness of sin. He wants you to recognize he overpaid. So the car has been paid for. Enjoy the ride, kids. Jesus has already paid your sin debt completely. Every time you are sin conscious, you're insulting the cross of Jesus, saying that it's not enough. Now, there's a difference between God putting his finger on your life, and you're like, man, you're right. I'm not trusting you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who are walking around with this feeling of debt. You know what happens when you have a feeling of debt? There's going to be shame. There's going to be condemnation. Boy, if people in this church knew what I was really like, they'd, know, they'd think I was a giant hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who's intentionally putting on an act, not someone who's genuinely trying to grow and take hold of the grace of God. There's a lot of people who are not receiving their healing because they're more conscious of their sin than they are conscious of their forgiveness. They can hear the good news. This doesn't seem to apply to them. I can, I can believe it for you. It's a lot easier to get someone else healed than to get yourself healed because you don't recognize. What did Jesus say to the man who was paralyzed being lowered through the roof? Son, your sins are forgiven. Stand up and walk. Some of you need to hear this word. Son, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Now stand up and walk. Take your healing. Take your provision. Take your freedom from that bondage. Take your answer to prayer. The debt has been paid. You can have boldness to enter the holiest place by the blood of Jesus. As we close here, will you come into agreement that your sins have been paid for once for all? They have been overpaid. No more debt. You can enjoy the ride. Enjoy communion with Jesus. Enjoy the Holy Spirit. Enjoy showing this world what he's really like. You can live forgiven conscious. You can live sin, sun conscious. No longer being sin conscious. The debt's been paid. God wants you sun conscious, not sin conscious. Let's stand for closing prayer. And yes, staff, I know we have one more thing to do. Boy, is that good news? I'm going to be honest, some of you, your faces didn't show up, but I'm okay. It's okay. I'm going to remain not your face conscious. There we go. So. 
Hey guys, some of you, maybe you're hearing the good news for the first time. Maybe you've been in church a long time, or maybe, uh, maybe you've been in this church for a long time, but it's, uh, it's just starting to hit you. And um, I want you to recognize it is a done deal. God already paid for it. Now your part is to say, I received that. Remember, we don't confess our sins to get saved. We confess our sins because we're forgiven, okay? We confess Jesus to be saved. So if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I don't, I don't know that I have that. I'm never going to try to convince someone. My mom and I are having this conversation the way over here because she lives by me now. <laughs> yes, 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 yeah. How can you be sure you're a Christian? I'm never going to try to convince somebody that they're a Christian. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It says he gives you this inner witness that um, you cry out, Abba, Father, which means you're mine. Okay? And so if you don't have that inner witness where you know that you're saved, um, maybe you're, it's because you've been sin conscious or maybe it's because you're not saved. I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. But guys, do not try to convince somebody that they're born again. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I don't know that I'm born again, but this Jesus, I'm believing in him. I believe he's the one. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want as much of Jesus in my life as possible. So Jesus, I believe what you have done, that your forgiveness is enough for me. I want you in my life. If you're here today and you don't have that and you want to do that, uh, even online, you can just go ahead and respond. I'm just going to ask you to be brave and just raise your hand. Is there anybody in here like, man, I want to confess Jesus. I, I, I need this. Is there anybody in here? Awesome, we got the home folk. And so if uh, you didn't raise your hand and you wanted to, our ministry teams are going to be up front here at the end. We'll uh, have a chance to pray with you. And so, um, so, yay God. Walk as if you have been forgiven, because you have been, all right? And I, I hope this changes you. Oh, next week? More good news on the blood covenant, yes, and so just, just in case you're wondering, yeah, it's all good news. So um, we have a, a thing that we love to do here at Zion, and you know, we love to be generous. So I want you guys to sit for a second.